the free for all roundtable. Round two. On round two today, Adua Sia Yabois, traffic specialist here and personality at News Talk 1010. Tim Hudak, former leader of the Ontario Conservatives, now at the Ontario Real Estate Association. Let's actually start with something that is sort of in your wheelhouse, Tim Hudak, and that is the Premier saying there will be no compensation for developers who ended up getting burned by his flip-flop on the uh, green belt. Is that fair? Oh, yeah. Totally makes sense. Look, um, it's a province that uh, sets the boundaries uh, for the green belt through regulation. I guess that's now going to change to legislation. And uh, similarly, you can put them uh, into the green belt uh, by uh, the same process. When the green belt, John, I was I was the uh, the critic actually for municipal affairs and housing when the green belt legislation was brought in. John Tory was a leader of the PC party at that point in time. Uh, when properties were brought into the green belt, there was no compensation for loss of future development potential. So yeah, this makes sense. And I think the right move in as expected. And Adwa, it's kind of hard to think what their line of um, you know attack would be. They can't say, well, you tipped us off to something, so we bought the land, and now it's it's not worth anything. Exactly. It's par for the course. It's uh, The Ford government wants to move away from this. If they were randomly to offer them compensation, uh, it would just keep this uh, big debacle of the Greenbelt uh, keep uh, continue to go on so it is better for them to just not do this and just keep it moving and hopefully there's a new story for them and it takes away from this uh, big gap of the green belt okay so uh the boss at metrolinks yesterday held a press conference i heard from one person who said you know if i was running a person in the communications business said if i was running metrolinks i never would have organized that event in the first place and it really bombed uh Adjua, i'll start with you you specialize in transportation and how people get around <laughs> i mean effectively you called a press conference yesterday and it wasn't even the circus of actually predicting a date you know a day at which he will tell us when it's opening. He said, I got a date in my head, but I'm not going to tell you. Which is is so ridiculous. It's like, why have the press conference if you have no news to share and nothing to tell the people and the people that are paying for the Crosstown? It, it's, it's actually ridiculous. This guy should, at this point, should probably step down and stop talking and just do the work and get it done because what, we're almost three years past the due date more money's going into this line. Businesses continue to suffer on Eglinton all across this line. And we're still getting no answers. And this guy might get a potential raise. It's it's just not a good look. Somebody needs to step in. I don't know if it's the Ford government that needs to step in and do something about this. But this is getting out of hand. Yeah, Tim Hudak, as Adjua said, if you haven't got anything new to say, why are you calling a press conference? Because it becomes embarrassing. Jeez, all they had to do was say it was an update, John, right? Yeah. I mean, people are dying for updates, but it was played out like there's some big announcement over a date, and it was another embarrassment in a string of Metrolinx embarrassments. I, I, I envision Metrolinx kind of like this, this giant that has some heavy lifting to do, right? We're having the largest expansion in our transit system in a century, but like a giant, awfully clumsy, just seemed to stumble uh, into these uh, slip-ups and cause damage 
when they do because of their size. I'm actually the opposite of Agile here. I think they should communicate more. I think one of the issues is that they've probably been muzzled by the provincial government. Even if they don't have good news, they, they look more transparent. They'll get more credibility. And yesterday should have been an easy one to say, okay, we're behind, but here are the reasons why. Here's what we're doing to fix it, instead of their usual approach, which has seemed to be you know, resembling an ostrich. With respect to the pay raise, look, the, the uh, CEO's job definition was changed. When he started, he had a smaller job. He has a much bigger job to do. But when it comes to additional bonus from that uh, base, John, when it comes to some sort of uh, raise, considering what we've seen in the last year or two, uh-uh. If I were on that committee, I'd give it a thumbs down. Well, let me ask you, because I, I, I asked years ago of the people who were building the Eglinton Crosstown, I said, wouldn't it be cool if you had a website and there would be like this moving dot that would show us where the, bo- the, the boring machines are every day? And they came back and said, well, we can't do that because if people know the boring machine is in their neighborhood, then they're going to insist that the crack in their wall came from us. So we keep it a secret until we've moved on. But would there be anything standing in the way, Tim, of them? They said they had 200 things they had to address. So put them all on, on, online and say, you know, and put a green tick beside each of them as they get solved. Let us in. Love this. Love this idea. See, you know, you're a busy guy, but I think after 10 a.m. they should put you in charge of Metrolinx Communications. <laughs> clean all of that up. Look, I, I believe it or not, John, that was actually part of my platform when I was running to be premier. I said we should actually put infrastructure projects online, show the price tag, show the progress, and hold everybody for account. I think your idea is a brilliant one, and Metrolinx should embrace more proactive communications, not go into hiding. Okay, so uh, let's move on to other issues, including Justin Trudeau's apology, which uh, failed to satisfy the House, doesn't seem to have satisfied anyone. I have to think, Adjua, that you sort of have to put people in separate bins. There are people who hate Justin Trudeau, so they love watching him fail. And then there are reasonable people who can't stand this situation and can't stand what happened on Friday, and they're not satisfied with how it's unfolded. Yeah, it's really a timeline thing. I don't understand why it took so long. I'm not a Trudeau fan or I'm not a Trudeau hater. I lie somewhere in the middle. But when it comes right down to it, the apology should have just come earlier and you probably could have got away with all of this uh, people attacking him and all of that stuff. Just do the right thing. This happened last Friday and he's only saying something yesterday. It's just, it's not a good look. The optics are horrible. What happened by inviting a former Nazi into the House chambers is just egregious, and it something should have been done way earlier than almost a week later after this incident. Just, it's just not a good look. Tim Hudak, sometimes I think part of Justin Trudeau's failing is he was taught by Jesuits. And the Jesuit way of addressing the world is through syllogisms and logic. And in Justin Trudeau's world, his office and he were not responsible for what happened last Friday. But that doesn't matter. Just say, I am, because I'm the leader. <laughs> well, maybe he's going to blame the Jesuits next. I don't, I don't oh, know, I John. blame the Jesuits for lots of things. <laughs> there, there you go. Wow. Be a whole show. Uh, look, I, I, I still can. I'm incredulous. I cannot believe this has happened. This is even. It's, it's so bad. It's almost satire. Some of the great political shows, right? W- Wag the Dog is an awesome movie. Yes, Minster. A House of Cards was fun to watch till Kevin Spacey went sideways. Uh, but Veep, I think, was the best. Mm-hmm. Veep was a great satire of politics, and this could be an episode. I still can't believe standing ovation for Nazi was a thing. <laughs> Sadly, not not the, but, but Trudeau. Well, another example of being well past the best. 
before, Dave. It was basic politics to show your anger and your sadness over this right out of the gate. And the fact that it dragged out two days later, they really had to move on with their leader. Um, I don't know if it was in the pack, but I don't think you need necessarily a brief to offer a little bit of insight. Tim, I'll start with you. I was very, very uh, satisfied this morning to learn that uh, the government seems to have wrapped up a deal with one union and another union has now opted to, to continue negotiations and then go to arbitration if they have to. But this basically takes the fear of an interruption to the school year off the table, which I think is great. And a, a big sigh of relief. Uh, we're with Catholic uh, board uh, here, but a big sigh of relief for Debbie. Now we've been worried about this right through the summer, and it is so sad to see our our, our daughter's uh, education uh, disrupted first for COVID and then strike actions in the past and potentially going forward. I, I want to give a lot of credit to Stephen Lecce. I think the education minister uh, has had an astute uh, approach. I think his communications has been strong. I think it's been subtle and behind the scenes, uh, getting the momentum going towards a binding arbitration that they can't get deals. So I'm pleased to see this and hats off the minister on a very thoughtful strategic approach in negotiations. And Andrew, I think there there are some encouraging signs. The union has shown flexibility and the government has not gone to that usual trench of trying to fire everybody up against the teachers. Yeah, this is this is the the best way to go about it. And I'm happy they came to some sort of arbitration and hopefully it gets signed and so kids don't have to suffer because at the end of the day those uh, the kids are the ones who are suffering in all of this. Uh, they've already suffered, like Tim said, through COVID, and now this could have happened. There could be more strike action. So hopefully that this is just it and kids can get on with education, which is the key. Uh, coming back to a story that is related to everything that happened in Ottawa, and that is that apparently there is a monument in a cemetery in uh, Oakville to Ukrainian soldiers, many of whom are just like the guy who was honored on Friday. They fought, you know, basically in Nazi uniforms. A lot of people think that should come down. Uh, Adjua, this doesn't, it's not necessarily comparable entirely to things like taking away civil war statues, but still, mm -hmm. it, it does fly up the nose of a lot of people. It, it doesn't. I, I'm just surprised this monument was ever put up in the first place knowing the background of this and and canada stands uh during world war ii so i, I just i don't understand why this is up in this in this circumstance i think it probably should be should come down or there should be at least something written saying exactly what this is what this uh unit served and yeah yeah just it's just it is just not a good look this is why history in school is a necessary thing knowing your history helps you not repeat the past so yeah i honestly think this should go there are many shades of gray to the second world war but i think we can agree tim hudak nancy's bad <laughs> yeah look i i um if i read the story correctly uh, john this is in a cemetery yeah, I think by i believe uh, so control, yeah. yeah by controlled by saint vladimir's uh, church a ukrainian uh, Catholic uh, community, but yeah, they should come down. It's it's it is the the church's property. It's their responsibility. It's the citizens. But whatever they're thinking may have been in the 1940s uh, for their fellow countrymen and what they did. When you look at the context, and you look at what's happening today, the support for Ukraine in general, the the church council, the priest, uh, they should change that monument and take it down. I'd very much like to hear from people in the Ukrainian community about their thoughts on this and whether anybody wants to go to bat for this thing because it's not actually ancient history. I think it went up in 1988. Um, not a lot of time on the clock, but Tim Hudak, do you have any reflections on the fact that millennials apparently divorce less than their parents? 
I, I, this is going to be great cocktail or barbecue chatter, right, to try to figure this one out. I guess you'll look over around to see if anybody's going through a divorce and be sensitive about that. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess. Um, I think trends tend to continue uh, in history. The fact that millennials are likely marrying later, having kids later, probably making more judicious choices about their mate than previous generations did, and probably a greater balance between men and women uh, or same-sex couples uh, in terms of of making decisions as a couple and not one over the other. That, those are my guesses for why you have the statistical positive result. Yeah, Adjua, millennials are often accused of being kind of feckless, but it would seem in, <laughs> in marriage they're, they're pulling it off. Yeah, I think it, it does come down to uh, getting married at a later date. You're not getting married in your 20s when you don't know who you are. I say when you get older, you get a little bit wiser and you're making your own choices. And yeah, you're making your own money, men and women. So you're not reliant on somebody and you don't wake up one day and you're saying, what am I doing in my 50s or my 40s? And saying, why am I with this person if I don't need to be? They're making the choice to actually stay with the person because they chose it at a later date. I think that's what's going on. Thank you both. Good to have you this morning. Tim Hudak and Andrew and Sia Yabwak. Catch the round table. Round one at 745. Round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.